0: Attention to roll call. Welcome to the 265 Police Live Series, brought to you by the New York's Finest Retired and Unfiltered Podcast. The mission of this podcast is to provide expert analysis of past and present law enforcement related events with a trained eye. Listen to the boots on the ground weigh in on the court of public opinion. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another weekly podcast here at the 265 Police Live series. We are the experts. Uh, Today, John and I would like to reflect on a video that uh, has surfaced. And I received this video through mass text, through WhatsApp. uh, And when I see these videos, it makes me boil. But before I go into the explanation of this particular video and actually comment on this video, it's funny, I, I, I'm uh, John and I are on a, a Zoom right now for this podcast, and in his office, he's got a great picture, NYPD Times Square. And, and that's actually uh, symbolic of what we're about to talk about. But before we go into it, I'd like to give you the pretextual reason, the element that is causing incidents as the video that we're going to describe. And that, again... My audience, the public, you're probably going to get tired of hearing this, but it's the, it's the truth. It's the Civilian Complaint Review Board, or as I like to call it, the Prisoner Arraignment Review Board. And when you get an opportunity, when we start to discuss and, depict, and really pick apart this particular video, you could see, you can almost, I, I've been doing this job so long, and John's been doing it, we have some experience, I can see the words almost like, when you see a sign and you drive it down the street when it says that it's emergency location to slow down, I can see the words in the cops' heads almost like, well, if I do my job, I'm going to get a civilian complaint. If I do my job, this call is this not going to go anywhere. This arrest is not going to go anywhere. The optics on camera. So I'm better off just standing down, it's actually at, at, which is actually going on. The cops are hamstrung and they're handicapped from doing their job. And it's unfortunate It's because of our Civilian Complaint Review Board. And that's the message we're trying to get out there. We need to mend this. We need a police perspective. Because I'm not sure if the Civilian Complaint Review Board sees what's going on. What is going on in this video. And what you're going to see. We're going to explain to you what the video is. Some of you might have seen it. But in this particular video, the cops are getting kettled. They're getting corralled. Which means they're being surrounded. So there is an, an angry mob that is trying to control the cops. Uh, they are in close proximity. They're in their personal zone. Keep in mind, this is a gun-free zone that the mayor wants. And these persons of interest are, 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 are really tumultuous. And they appear that they want to get violent. And they're really teetering on the potential charge of inciting a riot, a lawful assembly. But what I definitely see here is disorderly conduct. And let, let me make sure the public is aware. Disorderly conduct has to be in the presence of a police officer. It's a violation to our penal law code. And what a violation is, is it has to be in a uniformed police officer's presence. And here you have uniformed police officers, several, including their supervisors and their leaders, and they're stuck. They know that they have a legitimate reason, a legitimate purpose, to place these persons of interest under arrest to quell and calm this angry mob. But instead, they stand down because the fear of the optics and the civilian complaint review board and what the public might understand, you may say, okay, they walk away from one incident, but every time we give an inch to an angry mob, we give an arm. So what does that mean? That means in this particular instance, instance here, we have cops getting corralled and they're getting berated and they're getting close enough that there isn't a, a potential chance for violence. But now since they, they stand down the next situation as such make it violent because now we've we've perpetuated and we've created an idea that it's okay to be weak and when perpetrators smell weakness they see an opportunity go ahead john
1: oh yeah it's uh you know it's it's disturbing right Times Square, we're talking about 42nd Street and 7th Avenue, which is the flagship location of New York City, right? It's the crossword crossroads of the world, right? New, um, New York City Mayor Adams said New York City is a brand. And if New York City is a brand, Times Square is the logo. Times Square also happens to be one of the number one tourist locations in the world. And on top of it being a tourist location, it is also the number one terrorist-targeted location in the world. Um, we have multiple officers patrolling there every night. Srgs there every night. We have bomb-sniffing dogs, gun-sniffing dogs. Um, we have everything out there. Um, tourists from all over the world are walking through that. And, and what are they thinking as an angry mob, a crazy mob of kids – And and they appear to be in their youth. They appear to be 16 to to like their early 30s. And they're being disorderly. Uh, They're a disorderly crowd. And what you see in the video is you see about 30 or 40 uh, youths basically confronting about 30 or 40 police officers. And, you know, we talk a lot about presence. And the presence there is the police have no control. So everyone walking by sees that if there was someone that wanted to do harm to New York City, they would have total, utter, complete free roam to do what they may in Times Square. Because the cops are can't even focus on anything else other than this angry mob in front of them. And, um, I, and I, I do believe Eric's right. I do believe you see in their face that they don't want to take action. Uh, because they know that they will one be getting a use of force a complaint against them they will be getting at least um, a, a borough investigation level complaint and they will also be generating civilian complaint review board for any action that they take right and their, and their and their record what you would want to say is their use of force record and their CCRB record would be added to right? Less chance of promotion, less chance of getting transferred, all of these things. And any action that they take at that night, because it is a, it is disorderly, it is disorderly conduct what these youth are doing. It's not a major crime, no, but it's a crime that needs to be dealt with before things get out of hand and anything else happens. And they're not taking care of that because they know they're going to arrest this, this, this perpetrator for a violation that's nothing will happen. They won't even spend the night in jail. They'll actually be given a, a, a release ticket later on in the evening, and the cop will just be holding on to this complaint for months <clears throat> and hoping he's not sued about it. You know, that that, that those are my thoughts on it, you know.
0: but well, here's the problem also. In this video, it's just an excerpt. So at this point, we don't have the details. We just have... We have an angry mob. We have a crowd, and we have a, a quantum amount of police officers and supervisors. So I'm going to make the assumption that there was something that was going on prior to this, maybe an arrest situation or a situation that they had to conduct an investigation. So it's obvious when I watch this video that these, this crowd, this angry mob, was impeding their job. Whatever their mission was, they impeded it and definitely. They definitely diverted their attention and they had to distract from what they were doing prior. It's completely obvious from that. So, yes, at the service, just looking at it, it's just disorderly conduct. But I I think we go further and assume that they're probably impeding an investigation. That's the problem when it comes to disorderly conduct. And it's done on purpose. As these people feed off each other and they incite one another and it becomes apparent. It's almost like dogs. They could sense, well, someone's scared or not. They feed off each other. They sense that the police officers are not taking any action. Because you can see these things. They, they build up and build. They start off slow. They, they start, the mob gets bigger. They start to corral the cops more and more. And they can see they start to get closer and closer to the cops. And I know the public expects cops to have tough skin and to be able to deal with beratement and to deal with comments that are you know that we wouldn't want our mothers to hear. But, and we understand that. We understand that as part of our job. But we need you to do that from a safe distance. And you can video and you can zoom in. But when you're in close proximity and you're creating a mob and you're kettling the officers, which means you're surrounding them and giving them choke points. What they mean by choke points is where they're in a position that they can't get out and that you, they, you're making them uncomfortable. It's an unsafe position for everyone. And, and with that being said, it's more They're just orderly conduct. Now, I I have had mentioned before, I had spent a latter part of my time my last year working in Times Square for overtime details to increase my pension, also to get away a little bit from the South Bronx where I generated all these complaints. And to my surprise, when I went down there, these guys were dealing with the same issues. They were terrified of the civilian complaint review board. And I watched watched that specific lieutenant in front there, and I worked with him. And uh, kudos to him, level-headed guy, great supervisor. I see some of those cops that I've seen uh, when I was working out there doing the detail, great men and women. But they're very uncomfortable. They're in a situation, particularly in Times Square, which I may say is even more difficult than in South Bronx where, As you said, it's the flagpole, it's the logo, it's the brand for New York City. All eyes are on them. And everyone expects them to be the most perfect human beings. And they're stuck. And they're getting civilian complaints. And they're working in a two-block radius with millions of people. And they're trying to control this environment. They're just getting worse and worse. And they have zero support. They're out there on foot the entire day trying to control these mobs that gather. Most of the people that are in Times Square that are creating this havoc don't even live in Manhattan. They come from... Brooklyn, and the Bronx, and Staten Island, and Queens, and they come there to do masquerades and uh, dancing and things like that to make money, but a lot of these guys do have a criminal element to them. Some of them have a good relationship with the cops, and some of them don't, and I've seen the fights and the situations they get, and these cops there are frozen, they're scared to take action, and we have to change this. They're scared of civilian complaint review board, and they're scared of the repercussions just as you had said, John. And it's really unfortunate. So, the Vague Review Board, we need you to give these guys a fair shake in order for them to do their job. What happened there to me, watch these cops get corralled, is scary. It makes my blood boil. When I was doing this job, 100%, I see that person of interest in blue inciting that crowd. Immediately, I would have placed the handcuffs on him personally. Or I would have directed one of my cops who would have worked as a team and taken him out of there. It's my opinion that would have quelled or at least started to de-escalate. And they talk about de-escalate as the buzzword. I believe that would have de-escalated the situation.
1: Well, yeah, no, I think that police action is the de-escalation. And sometimes police action swiftly should be de-escalation. So and, and you did you did bring up a point, you know, it, it is, I believe, obstructing government a governmental administration as well, because you got to think every cop there is potentially a 911 call that someone can't make. Right. You're, you're, you are disrupting police services by keeping them in your face. Right. Like so those cops are, can't help anyone else. Whoever got pickpocketed around the block, whoever got mugged, whoever got. Was getting in trouble down in the subway system, which we're seeing numerous incidents a day. And even though Mayor Adams came out today and said that again for the second time, he said it in his first month in office, and then again he said it on a on a show that he's fighting the perception of fear in the transit, um, that it's a, supposedly a conspiracy theory that the, the crime's up in transit um, – you know, these cops cannot get down there. These cops won't even hear the call probably because they're being surrounded, and it's it's a disruption of police services. Uh, but at, at the very minimal, at the very minimal, it is one hundred percent disorderly conduct. It's part of the penal law, New York, New York State, uh, the New York Penal Law, two forty twenty disorderly conduct. A person is guilty of disorderly conduct when. With intent to cause public inconvenience, annoyance, or alarm, or recklessly creating a risk thereof, he engages in fighting or in violent, tumultuous, or threatening behavior. Eric, would did you believe that the the based upon that video, as they're approaching the cops, are they are is that crowd are there numerous individuals engaged in fighting and or in violent, tumultuous, or threatening behavior?
0: Absolutely. Way beyond, I, I, I believe, after watching this video, there was numerous opportunities to place several of these, these subjects under arrest. Several of them were feeding off each other. And and, and that's why I said, I think there's this is teetering even further on inciting a riot. And that's exactly what it is. And if anybody wants to know the public, it takes 10 or more persons. You have to incite 10 or more persons as an angry mom a tumultuous mob to create inside the riot. <laughs> uh,
1: an, another, another section of that is he makes unreasonable noise. Or in a public place, he uses abusive or obscene language or makes an obscene gesture. Or without lawful authority, he disturbs any lawful assembly or meeting of persons. Or he obstructs vehicular or pedestrian traffic. Um, again, I'm going to say he, they committed all of those things, 100% blocking pedestrian traffic. What, what, what would you say? Do you think that the tourists and people that were going to work, that they felt comfortable enough to walk through that crowd at that moment in time?
0: Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if I was a tourist and, and that's what I got to see, I would ask myself, why would I even return here? And, and you know what? We could talk all day about penal law this and that. And, and that's important, but I'm going to give it to the public straight, and I'm going to be honest with them. I used to teach my cops this, and Johnny you can probably agree with me. Before you get to the police academy, especially in today's day, you're actually smarter than you were when you go to the police academy. And here's why. When you're just a regular Joe, Joe Schmoe, and, and you're out in the public, and you see something wrong, you say to yourself, those guys are going to get locked up. You don't even know the penal law, but you just know, morally or ethically, something's wrong. You know they should be placed on the rest, but then you go to the police academy and they inject you with the idiot chip, and I and that's what I used to call it, because we would have cops out there and they would be in situations. They're brand new cops and they would see something they know is wrong, but then they would be frozen. Because they didn't know the penal law, or they didn't know if they were going to get the support from the police department and the civilian complaint, civilian complaint review board. So they were frozen. And by the time that the ODA loop passed through their head to make the decision to place someone the arrest, the time had already passed, and that press of interest had already fled. And that's why I say sometimes you're smarter before you make better decisions. Here, these cops are with experienced leaders, lieutenants, and sergeants, we can see, and the cops there experience and every one of them you don't need one day in the police academy to know that you might not know what the solid conduct is but you know that's wrong and you know there's probably an arrest situation so i used to tell people you know what if you think something's wrong you place them in handcuffs we bring them back to the priest and control the environment and then we could go through the legalities and actually look up the semantics of these particular crimes but we know they did something wrong but i watch this it makes my blood boil because i could see the fear on the eyes and the body language of the way the cops are dealing with this crowd. And you said it best. The interview stance, where is the interview stance? Where is the, the positioning to show that these cops are not meek and then they're, they're not going to be potentially attacked. I don't see any signs of it. They're scared of taking action because of the civilian complaint review board. And, and I know it may seem I'm rambling on, but there's so much information here. We could probably talk about this for months. I, was, I actually spoke to a reporter within the past couple of days, days. I'm not going to disclose who it is, but the question he asked me, and this was a great question he posed to me, he said, I don't understand why the cops are fearful of the Civilian Complaint Review Board when only one cop has been fired in so many years, and he referred to Daniel Pantaleo. And I said, you're right, but that's what cops are not afraid of. Cops are not afraid of being fired. It's not on their radar. But we can all agree if you get fired, it's done, it's over with, you're on to your new career. What cops are afraid of is the repercussions and the obstacles and the curbs that the civilian complaint review board can create in your career. And I am the prime example. I was supposed to be a captain a year ago, but I did not get promoted because of substantial complaints brought on by the civilian complaint review board in correlation with the disciplinary matrix. And because of the matrix, I was not, I, I was not. I, I'm sorry, I was not, I didn't have the capability to receive command level discipline, which means not formal charges. So because I had all the aggravating factors, lieutenant, experience and rank, and also a CCRB disciplinary history created by CCRB, I got to sp- substantial complaints and I received charges. I was unable to get transferred. I could not get promoted to captain. I was frozen and I was stuck. And for most cops, that's worth, worse than death. So if anybody understands, if you think civilian complaint review board does not have power over the cops, they surely do.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, when I was when I was getting ready to be a sergeant, I knew I, I first of all, I studied for a year for sergeant. I take the test. I don't find out if I pass the test for about six months. Then about six months later, the list comes out. So now it's about two years. So you're sitting around waiting to get promoted. You know, and I was still doing anti-crime at that time. But once that list had dropped, I stepped back. I really did. I stepped back from policing in my head. I was like, you know what? I don't need to go out to touchy situations. I'm going to step away from. I'm going to let the younger guys take the the crazy arrests and all this other stuff. I did was I didn't want to put my name on everything at that point because I knew that any little thing would hold me up from getting promoted. And I think that. That's true for every cop out there. Everyone has that in the back of their head. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, if I do my job, I'm going to I could potentially not get promoted, whether it's a promotional exam or whether it's a discretionary promotion like detective or they're waiting for grade or even a captain. If you're waiting to get, you know, if you're waiting to get deputy inspector or lieutenant, like special assignment like yourself, you will not get those things on certain levels and you won't get them for doing your job. And I definitely agree with you. I think you do get dumber. But disorderly conduct is an important one, I think. I think that's one you need to know because it really is a catch-all. So if you don't mind, I just want to finish. I got two more parts of this. Two more parts of it, right? He congregates with other persons in a public place and refuses to comply with a lawful order of the police to disperse. That is probably the main authority the police have right there i told you to leave now leave you're creating a dangerous situation um and that should be an arrestable offense you should spend the night in jail for violating that if you resist arrest because of that you should be prosecuted you should actually spend more than a night in jail over that And the last part of that law is he creates a hazardous or physically offensive condition by any act which serves no legitimate purpose. Disorderly conduct is a violation. So basically you'll get a slap on the wrist for violating any portion of this as long as you don't resist arrest. But today we're seeing that the disorderly conduct would be thrown out. So even if they resisted arrest, That would get thrown out as well because they would say that that was fruits of the bad tree or whatever they want to say. And they would basically throw out the whole thing. And there are no more knights in jail. So, Eric, I just want to take you back to early on in your career. There was a large crowd. Uh, And I'm sure you've dealt with this before, or maybe in a small crowd, and they were causing noise and they were being disorderly and they were making pedestrians have to walk around them because they were acting in tumultuous or violent behavior. And they refused to leave after you told them to disperse. What would happen? What would have happened? prior to the Bill de Blasio administration taking place prior to the community coordination that we call the community policing model, which I do, again, I don't believe as community policing. I believe it should have been properly named as hands-off policing and hope for the best. Um, so what, what would have happened?
0: You know what, that goes back to the train that we had that kept us safe. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, this goes back to when we were taught under the broken windows theory, when you and I came out of the uh, police academy and we worked in the impact zones. When you remember the senior cops, the veterans, they told us to treat everyone with respect, but they gave us three rules. And they said, you ask people, you tell them, and lastly, you make them. And that is not happening. And, we, and and I'm a firm believer, you know what, those three caveats, they used to work. We used to approach a crowd, and we would ask respectfully and say, listen, here's the conditions, and we need this crowd to move, and here's why. And if, 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 if we weren't met with resistance and they complied, well, that was success. And if that didn't work, then you know what? If we were met with resistance, we would have to tell them, you know what, we'd have to give that direct lawful order. This crowd must disperse, and here are the reasons why. And then, last but not least, if after those two options failed, which is part of the de-escalation that's coming forward, if those are, if we would then make them. And what does that mean? We would then apply the handcuffs and place them under arrest. And if they resisted, then that would be an additional charge. And I'm a firm believer that those three caveats that we learned, and I know you learned them also. They kept us safe. They kept the persons of interest in line. They understood that the police department stood their ground. And at that time, we had more support. And everyone would have approached these crowds, and we would have had a tactical flank. We would have stood at the interview stance. But it, to me, I watch these things, and it almost looks like a circus show. And the cops are standing there, and they're the show. And all these people are, are watching the circus animals stand there, and they're just ridiculing them, laughing. It's almost like they can get popcorn and watch them just get abused at the comedy hour, you know, that they're, you know, they get getting heckled. And this is absolutely ridiculous. They have no backbone, and they know it because they're scared of, somebody can play review board, optics, social media, getting hate mail, getting trashed not being transferred, being outcasted in a job. And it's unfortunate. We are getting a new breed of cops that are getting hired by candid assessment. And they don't understand how that works. How uh, how it works for the police department to take a stand. They think, you know what, this is the way they're being taught. It's about ice cream on Twitter. And, and it's unfortunate. It, it really is. And these cops are really unsafe being in this position, giving people more room and not breaking that odor loop—that's so important. I talk about that all the time, and that's the key to safety. And, and I and I hate to say it, and I've been saying it for a long time. And I hope I'm wrong, but I, it's sad, you know. Most people fear that a cop gets killed by a firearm, but I've been saying it for the longest time, and I hope it doesn't happen. But we're headed for a cop to get to get killed, God forbid, by the hands of another person through a violent struggle. It's—it's. It's, I mean, we've had in one week. A cop got his nose cut off. Two other cops got assaulted in transit, and we're seeing this constantly. This is becoming the norm, and 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 our cops are handicapped, and they're not they're not fighting back, and it's unfortunate. And uh, I'm really scared for these cops. And I, you know, I I I, I like to reflect, Officer Remora, uh, <clears throat> Officer Mora, and Officer Rivera, who lost their line of uh, their lives in the line of duty. They were posthumously promoted to detective. It's unfortunate, but it's my firm belief that some of these ideologies may have got these young men killed. Because when they went in this apartment to address a domestic, they didn't go and start checking the rooms right away, immediately, again, to break that odor loop of that perpetrator. That perpetrator had time to think and make a decision to attack those two young police officers and took their life. But if they had the training and the confidence to support to break that older loop, they may have been alive today. And it's unfortunate. It's sad. It, it really is. My heart breaks to those families.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the, 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 best defense to fight crime is a sh- very, very strong offense. And that's gonna, again, it's the presence. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm watching this. I just watched the video while, while you were talking again and it, you know, what do we think is going to happen? There's 30 cops there. There's 30 cops there. They're being abused and ridiculed. Why would this be any different when there's two? Why would this be any different when they respond to any other job? When you need the police, people are going to ridicule them. You know, one of the lessons I was I was always taught was you never let anyone take advantage of you because you're going to make it harder for the next cop. The next time the cop runs in to that person, they're going to give that cop a hard time because of you. You have to be the police. If you don't want to be the police, go find a different job, you know, and I think that's a very and we lost that. And it's I don't know where we're headed. We're we're headed for a very scary place. If, If people aren't afraid of 30 cops gathered, they're not afraid of being arrested by ridiculing Believe me, people, assaults are happening, and we've seen it. We've seen the, the retired cop. They didn't know he was a cop. He was a 66-year-old man walking down the block in Brighton Beach, and these young kids come up videotaping. One throws a sucker punch, but he's a tough older guy, and he he takes the shot and chases after them, and they run like three little girls. But they ran because they feared they – feared The consequence of what was going to happen when that old guy caught up to them, he was going to beat the shit out of them because there were three little 120 pounds skinny kids, you know, Um, and he was an older man. You could tell he was a police officer and you could tell he was he had worked out in his life. So they ran. There is zero fear of consequence. And this video highlights that. And yes, it's a minor it's a minor crime. What happens when it's a major one? What happens when it's a massive brawl? What happens when someone's shot or stabbed on the street? And, damn, I know you've been to many of those scenes, especially in housing. You know, towards the end of my career, I really wasn't in those scenes anymore. But I was in many of them in the beginning. And I'm sure I, I can't even imagine what you were dealing with towards the end of your career, like being in housing at a shooting scene, trying to tell everyone to get back when people are walking through bloodstain and you're trying to – to set up a crime scene because I've I've dealt with that situation before. You know, would you, would you mind uh, just telling us any of those scenes what they were like towards the end?
0: I have a great example actually. This was this was the first arrest that I got the most exposure. One morning I woke up and I, my phone was blowing up. I was getting constant texts, and I was getting pictures and phone calls. And I remember I was sleeping because I, I always worked nights. So finally, when I got up, I saw it. It was a picture of me in the paper. And I was getting constant focus. People, what happened? You know, most people don't read the story. They just read the title. But it was Bronx Cop Punches Innocent innocent Bystander. And they created this uh, this story about how I punched this young black innocent bystander because he was black. And I was this racist monster. Did you ever see this article?
1: I actually didn't, but I'm going to look it up right now. So keep going.
0: <laughs> well, you have to see this article. So this is the first time I got the media exposure. And I think this was, this was a pivotal point that where my information started to get out there. And the Civilian Complaint Review Board started to know who I was. And this was in August of 2017. So right before 2018, when everything started to kick off with the Civilian Complaint Review Board, so on this particular case in the confines of the 4-2 Precinct in the South Bronx, I'll never forget, we're working. It was a summer night, and we see we were in the vicinity of 169th Street, Washington Avenue. If Everybody knows that's like the Mecca for the 4-2 Precinct. It's a violent location, and unfortunately, we've had so many shootings that particular summer, and we see a crowd of people running, and we couldn't hear it, but it turns out two people were shot. But it was a, a, a low-caliber firearm. It was a 25-caliber firearm. And it was a crowd of people running. So eventually, we find these two victims that were shot. We started to render aid, set up a crime scene. We had this large crowd. I mean, it just ignited. And they create a barrier, an obstacle. They would not let us get these victims in the ambulance. Because was this was the mecca where the gangs met up, where they had rival shootings. And here we are. Two blocks, two blocks in, in close proximity on Webster Avenue, we get another shot fired. So we respond. To, we run down two blocks away. I have other people set up the crime scene. We have sh- spent shellcations all over the place on Webster Avenue in, in housing. So I'll never forget. I got myself the personnel there. I got PSA 7 personnel, the 4-2, 4-0, all surrounding preaches because it just wasn't enough personnel. It was a large crowd, angry mob. It was chaotic pandemonium scene. And I don't have to get here is that young black male they speak of. He's kicking the spent shells. He's inciting riot. He's acting just like this guy was on video. And I was trying to push him back. I'm trying to control the crowd. And he takes a swing at me. So I deployed three strikes. And eventually put, we put him in handcuffs. And I knew the guy. He was a Bloods Gang member. But I've had dealings with him. I didn't personally place him on the rest, but I knew who he was. And then when I saw that article in the paper, said, "Wow, innocent bystander." He was impeding our investigation. He disturbed the integrity of our crime scene. Was kicking the shells. He was inside of these people. Some people in the crowd were throwing beer. They were dousing the cops with their beer. It was an angry mob. We had to make several arrests. And eventually, we, the, the crowd came to a quell because we placed people on the rest. And you know what's the only thing that saved me? Because I knew civilian complaint review board was going to be all over it. I was getting phone calls from the union. And they said, oh, you better be careful. So I'm just doing my job. It was on video that I had deployed strikes. And the only reason, the only thing that saved me, and it's sad, but three weeks later, in the exact same location, this innocent bystander shot someone in the face and killed him. And this, his adversary, he caused his demise. And that was the only reason that this investigation went away. Uh, But, and that is a prime example. What happened in Times Square could have been our incident. But we actually placed persons of interest and subjects under arrest to bring it to a quell. And I see a situation right now with these cops standing off and being so sheepish, how bad it could get. And we're so fortunate it didn't get bad. But if they don't take action, it will get worse. And John, I'm sure you can agree. If they would have been proactive in trying to place handcuffs or actually putting their hands on their chest and pushing these people back, they would have been subject subject to a civilian complaint re, uh, review board response shortly thereafter. And they would not even need a complaint. It would be self-initiated by the civilian complaint review board.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll look at the incident you just described, right? That was one, that was one incident. So that was one complaint that you got that's on your record. You probably got about several seven allegations off of that. You know, excessive force, uh, discourtesy, offensive language, uh, unlawful arrest, and and probably any other things they could they could have found during the course of that. Um, whatever else he said, profiling, if, 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 if somebody that's another one, that's one of my favorite ones, profiling, you get a profiling allegation. If someone says, Oh, he pulled me over. Cause I get new, I had New York plates. He pulled me over cause I was black. He pulled me over cause I was married. He pulled me over cause I'm gay. He pulled me over cause of this. He stopped me because of this. He did that. It's the most nonsensical allegation because it's based off of a feeling, right? So the, the NYPD creates this profiling allegation. And they've never substantiated one time because they can't. How could you? How could you ever prove that somebody profiled somebody else? That's, that's ridiculous. It's based off of it's based off of a complainant's feeling. So there. So that's a perfect example. Eric Dim. That's one of his complaints. That's probably about seven of his 115 allegations for <laughs> someone who took a shot at him who was disturbing an active crime scene where someone was shot. Yes. Um and. And then later on returns to that same exact spot and shoots someone in the face and kills them. And it's the only reason they don't pursue you hard and look for discipline. But that never left your record, you know, so that that stayed with you. And I'm sure there's a lot more like that that we'll get into with time. But I just want to take a, a quick second because I'm reading this article and it, it it's good. So we just heard the actual story. So I'm reading a Daily News article from August 21st, 2017. It's written by Christina Carrega. NYPD officer accused of punching bystander for no reason during Bronx shooting investigation. Police investigating a Bronx shooting earlier this month punched a bystander three times in the face, according to the video obtained by the Daily News. Again, that's what I say the problem is with all video Including body camera, you're only seeing a portion of that incident. You're not even taking what Dim keeps saying is that whole scene, that whole scenario. Um, you don't even get the whole picture. Of that you just get a snippet of the the actual one to one interaction. You don't even get the the profile of everything else that's going on around. Kevin Pettaway told the, the the news he was minding his own business. Just before getting punched and arrested, and arrested disputing NYPD claims that he was busted for hindering their investigation into the shooting of two 17-year-old boys. Hedaway, 28, said he was heading towards his mother's Webster Avenue apartment on August 5th when he noticed a ruckus involving a crowd of onlookers and NYPD officers. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I see a ruckus and a crowd of NYPD officers, I normally cross the street. I drive the other way. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's something violent about to happen. If God forbid weapons are being used or firearms are being used. I do my best to avoid that scenario, you know, prior to me being a cop. And now that I'm not a cop anymore and I'm retired, I'm driving with my family. I will do my best to avoid that scenario. I'll take a different route. I won't get into a location where I could get up to the police officer, but He decided to. So he didn't know what the commotion was about, so he just tried to get past the crowd, directly into the crowd, obviously, Petaway said. (laughs) A portion of the incident was caught on a 30-second cell phone video and appears (laughs) to contradict the officer's account. Which was in a detailed in a court document. So you, so that's another allegation that you had. You lied on a, you falsified an official document, and probably they were trying, they were going to try to attempt to get you on a false statement by the CCRB if they would have went through the, with the investigation. <laughs> um, Petaway is seen in this video wearing a white tank and walking by the shouting crowd when an officer in a dark T-shirt and khaki shorts. Hold him in the opposite direction. Petaway turned to face the plainclothes officer, identified in court documents as Lieutenant Eric Dim of PSA seven. That's Public Service Area 7, for those you don't know, to ask why he'd been pushed. He was met with three blows to the face, the video shows. Now I'm not gonna get through the rest of it, but I mean clearly it's <laughs> this is this is how officers are treated, you know. Eric was attacked, and they made it in in a way. He was trying to secure a crime scene, investigate two 17-year-olds who were shot, and this asshole wanted to go directly into the scene, do whatever he wanted, had zero respect for the police, um, and, and tried to go through the crowd, took a swing at you, and you not only defended yourself, you controlled the scene that day you brought calm to the scene that day. And I think that that gentleman, the next time a cop told him that you're not going this way, I think he didn't go that way again. You know, I think that would have happened, uh, you know, in his case, maybe not. Cause he shot someone in the face three day, a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks later. Um, but that's ridiculous. That's a great story.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the union tried to uh, put out a response to it. I think they got a little bit in, but they, the the art the, the the person that wrote this article didn't want to hear it, and even after uh, he shot someone, there was some innuendos out there by, I believe, some reverend and, and some of the local uh, council people that said that uh, they believed that I something there was some type of conspiracy that I set him up, like like I I got him to shoot this guy or something. I, I don't know. It just it was the craziest thing that I sent this. You know, even I think it was the uh, the civil liberties union that said I uh, that somehow I, I set him up, right? I set him up a failure. They basically it, 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 their innuendo was somehow I led to him shooting someone in the face. It's crazy,
1: absolute insanity. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I,
0: he I, was I, kicking the spent shells. we had two we had two victims shot. The scene was destroyed, and it was just an angry mob. And like you said. It was clearly obvious. Anyone that was in the vicinity, if you were, if you didn't want any issues or it would be part of violence, you would completely go the opposite way. Because it was an angry mob. People were throwing beer, dousing the cops. It was a wild scene. I, I mean, it was the most ridiculous thing. I remember trying to pick up the shells and put them back in the same spot and try to rearrange the crime scene as best as I could. But the crime scene was destroyed. It was totally disturbed. And totally impede our investigation. And he refused to leave. It's a thirty-second clip, but I think this went on for several minutes. Where I had to ask him, "You got to move, please step back. You destroy my crime scene." I could asked this guy kindly. He was a young, big, strapping kid. He was about six foot two. And I love how they said he turned towards me. He turned towards me with a full right hand. You know, am I supposed to get hit to the face? Well, he you was know. he was
1: only walking to his mother's house. He was just right. walking through, and he just wanted to walk through the crime scene. It wasn't, you know, I, that's what you cops don't get. That's what you guys don't get. You know, he was just trying to go to his mother's house, but he stopped to make sure everything was all right. Where two, two or two people were just shot and walked right where the blood in the shell casings were, even though cops asked him numerous times to go. So, yeah, I think I, I think the Daily News did. Want you to get punched in the face <laughs> i think that's what she was i think that's what christina was uh was thinking that should have happened they, they
0: never i had no idea about this article i woke up and the article was printed they extracted my picture from facebook they never got my side of the story never even asked me a single question
1: no they, and, they, and they they detailed the whole thing right there it said that you punched them in the face for no reason that was the story yeah. <laughs> I mean, the title the title was you punched him in the face for no reason
0: Right, right, exactly. And it's a
1: bystander. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bystander. It's fucking ridiculous. Unbelievable. Unreal. But, yeah, so, I mean, and now, in 2017, actually, you know, we were still a little bit of the police. We were definitely starting to slide off and lose our position in the city. Um, but we hadn't fully lost it at that point. So, I mean, now it's going to be even crazier for these guys trying to contain a crime scene. I can't even imagine it. I mean, there's zero, there's zero respect. And, and this is such a great example of it. And what's, what's the thing that we started doing in 2020 is, all right, let's just get out of here and let them calm down. And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I, I think it's some scenarios you could do that. You could You could back off but how many times could you do that before you you have no choice anymore and you're going to be in a position where you can't do that anymore? And, and you know, I don't think these guys and these girls are afraid. I just think they don't know what the hell to do because they know it's getting thrown out. The bosses clearly don't want them to make an arrest. You know, he's pushing the cops back. And I believe he's doing that to keep them safe because he knows as well they're in a no-win situation. You know what I mean? So I don't fault the boss at all. He's trying to protect his workers. Right. And that's what you do as a, that's what you do as a lieutenant, as a sergeant, you, you're really, you're out there to protect the public, but you're also out there to protect the men and women that who, who are with you that night, right. Who are serving under you, right. That would be a, a, a huge failure in life to, to God forbid something bad happened to these people or one of them potentially lost their career under your leadership. So yeah. So the, the, and again, It's not their leadership that's failing, and it's not the men and women's lack of bravery. It's the appointed leadership in the police department. I just saw Ken Corey, the chief of department, announced his retirement, even though he hadn't served for more than a year. Um, It's completely my opinion. I have no inside information on this, that he was asked to step down. I heard – several months ago he wouldn't last long. He would be gone by the summer and Chief Madry would be appointed to the chief of department. So we'll see if that's true. But uh, you know, I, I uh I think that uh Chief of Department Corey had a great career. Um, uh, but again, I think anybody that served under Bill de Blasio and now under Eric Adams, I I question their integrity. I really do. I question their integrity and um You know, I know that Chief Fox was asked to leave to diversify his spot. um, Basically saying, you're white. We don't want any more white chiefs. I don't know if that's the same thing that happened with Ken Corey. Uh, Chief Fox, I know for a fact that was said to him and he did not come out and say it, um, which, again, I believe is lacking in courage because I think that you should come out and say that. I think that we have the I think that. You know, that's the problem in leadership is there's no clear, honest message. That is leadership saying the things that maybe they're not easy to say, but it's the truth. This is what it is. And this is what men and women are looking for in in the NYPD. And I think at this point now, this is what the citizens in New York are looking for. Any normal person now that's going to work or leaving work or is a tourist that are there with their family and their kids. What are they saying? They're not blaming the appointed leadership by the NYPD. They're not blaming the mayor and all of these people and city council putting these policies in. They're blaming the people who are getting the finger pointed at them, the same people that these elected put in that scenario. They're blaming those people on, 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 on the seat. And it's wrong. And and they're being put in a, in, in a no-win situation. And it's scary. And the
0: public –
1: not only are those cops going to suffer, the public is going to suffer worse.
0: You explained it so well. You talked about the leadership. I want to exploit exactly what you said. It's so true. Here the cops are, and I remember my last year. My last year is, it, it's, it, it, it just sticks in my head so much. I mean, here I spent 18 years and nine months, but I can envision every day of my last year because every day I came into my last year, I said to myself, do I want to do this another day? Do I want... Do I want to be here? It's exactly these issues. Here the cops are. I remember feeling the, the, the way they were feeling by last year of just confusion, not knowing what to do anymore. We were getting pretty much standout orders, particularly in the South Bronx in the summer in housing. It, people like to hang out, have barbecues, and they like the, the block parties. And these streets get crowded, and we were all for them having a good time, but sometimes we would have to go there and address it. And I remember working housing for years, when we used to address crowds, we would control the crowd, especially with these barbecues, and we would give direct orders. And if they weren't complied with, we dealt with them appropriately with respect. But depending on the reaction that we got, we would handle it. If it was if we were capable enough, just asking kindly and not write any summonses then you know what? We were happy. Everyone was happy. If we had to write summonses, and that was the next level, If we had to make arrests, we did it. Whatever was applicable to get it done. But my last year, it was evident that we had stand-down or, stand orders. And the orders were, you know what? Just go to these scenes, just put the lights on with the cars, and just stand there. Don't interact with them. Don't do anything. And if they don't comply, just wait them out. Eventually, they will go home. And it was the worst feeling. I said, what are we, security guards? Because What's the difference between a security guard? I'm not knocking them, but this is the reality. The security guard and the shield that we wear. Security guard is a witness. They're there to observe and report. But that shield that we bear is what gives us the right to be intrusive, to approach people, to interact, to encounter. That's what's the difference about that shield. But in the end, we became security guards. We were witnesses, and we observed, and we reported. That was it. We stood there, and I remember the commanders would call me, at midnight, and say, hey, did, uh, how's that crowd now? How many people? Well, it's still 50 people. Okay. Uh, you know." And they talk about the funded police, and we would leave the cops out there for two, three hours on overtime to just stand there and hopefully make them uncomfortable, and eventually they would go home. But we didn't give any directors. We didn't give any orders because they were afraid of the confrontation. They didn't want any arrests made. They didn't want any summonses issued because of the repercussions. Of civilian complaint. And the commanders didn't want to get wrapped up in this. But then here was the problem. As I said before. We went to compstead Compstead, the commanding officer, myself, the special operational tenant. And the field intelligence officer. We were there to be accountable for the command. And the dais of the executives, the chiefs, the instructions were to handle these situations. To take control. To make arrests. They would even put up on the screens pictures of target offenders. They would put up pictures of large crowds. That weren't addressed, and it was it was like no one would talk about the big elephant in the room. And these chiefs would say, "Why are we not getting gun arrests? What's going on? Why are we not addressing the crowds?" And I would say to myself, "You know what's going on. Stop pretending. You know what's going on there." And we're getting we're getting it was like they were spoke at two sides of their mouths. One side they said, "Oh, I'm making all these arrests," and then the other side, you know, we we had got in the command level. Oh, just stand down so it was a very confusing time It's shame on the leadership for putting us in that position
1: uh, yeah i agree i i say it all the time i'm like listen the, the young executives on this job i'm like you know you got a family to feed you're going along you're trying to get promoted you're trying to make yourself through the ranks but You're a 60-year-old man. You're a three-star chief. You spent 30 years on this job. You transformed this city from a city of crime into the safest big city in the world. And you're watching it go not only back to where it was before you came on, but you're watching it get worse. You know that everything, everything that's coming out of your mouth is fucking bullshit. You know it's a lie. You don't tell your family. You don't tell your friends. When you go sit down with the other executives, you all talk about how much bullshit it is, and you're facing, you're looking at probably a seventeen thousand dollars a month pension. You're probably going to walk away with over a million dollars, and I I can't help but think, where is your integrity? Where are your balls? How much time do you have left on this earth that you're going to sit here and sell your soul out to a mayor who has no fucking idea what they're talking about, doesn't care how stupid you look? and You're not only selling out – again, you're not only selling out the men and women – of the nypd when we sit here and we say fidelis ad mortem and we talk about how we'll be faithful to death and we talk about at cops funerals how we'll never forget them you're dishonoring them you're dishonoring the nypd you're di- you're violating the oath that you swore and it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting and you know i know a lot of people heard me talk a lot on news, on, uh, on like news camera and, you know, on, on various different networks and, and on podcasts and they think that I'm disrespecting the job and I'm really not, Mm -hmm. I'm really just stating what I see and I've haven't had anyone really debate me on this. So anyone that wants to come out and tell me a different story that this stuff works, that community policing works, that uh, taking knees in front of crowds work, please come on here, talk to us. You know, maybe me and me and Eric, you know, we're only mid level management, so maybe we didn't, we don't have a clear picture of what's going on. But from what we're seeing. There is no leadership We're, we've been left out in the cold for years now. And now it's, it's even more evident than it's ever been. And I mean, just looking at that video, this isn't a one-off video. This is happening all the time. It's, it, you know, and it started even way before the kneeling during the riots It started way before that, you know?
0: Well, I don't think it'd be disrespectful at all. I actually think that you are being extremely respectful, and to say for myself is because we're actually talking about the truth and honesty. And sometimes people don't want to don't want the truth. And I don't think it's disrespect. I think it's respect. It shows that we care because what we're asking for is for these things to be acknowledged so that these, these intricacies, deficiencies can be corrected. And I always said to myself, and I really believe this, a good leader has the ability to look into themselves in the mirror, to examine themselves and say, how can I be better today than it was yesterday? How can I be better to my people? That's what good leaders should do. And that's what we're asking of our leadership. Give a clear message. Give a mission. And it should be not, a, not an I. It should be a we. These the leaders, I always, you know, I, I expected for them to give us the mission that we were all on the same page. And I would say to my commanders, what's going on here? You're telling us to stand down. And the same token, I go go to COMSA, and they're telling us to address this. And then at the same token, when we would have certain meetings, like a Borostat meeting, you know, now all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's let's whip things up. Uh, Let's go grab a couple of summonses. Let's make a couple of arrests to make it look good. Well, you know what? That's just a band-aid. We can't fix what's been going on here for months for the past year what what we're going to do over the weekend just so you look good and, and for a couple of old men. These guys know exactly what's going on. They were cops for many years. They're watching, they're overseeing, they're watching body cameras, they're watching videos. They have a front row seat with these politicians. They know all the rules. They're part of the rulemaking. They're part of the laws that are, that are changing. And they're leaving their men and women behind. These men and women... Are working to make a better city. They're working with you. How are you leaving them behind? Leaving them in the dark. It, it, I, I think it was the last year was the most confusing time. I said, where are we headed? Again, it was always like going down a dark tunnel and you just, your hands are in front of your face and you're hoping you can find your way out because no one knows what to do. There's zero leadership. No one knows what's the mission. And you need a clear mission. I learned that in the Marine Corps. You need a clear mission. When the guys respond, they need to know, are we placing these people on the rest? Is that how we're going to convince? But all we would hear is, let's de-escalate, de-escalate. What does that mean? I I, I don't know. Sometimes to de-escalate could be a pair of handcuffs. It, it could be grappling someone. It could be a conversation. Is, it, is That shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all, the word de-escalation. What, what do you think about that? I'm sure you, you probably agree um,
1: you know, it, it's it's really got me thinking about what what is de-escalation? Um, exa- like, really, what it, what is it? I, to me, I know what what de-escalation is. We I think we spoke about it on the last on the last thing. It's it's peace through strength, you know. And uh, I know that there's a de-escalation bill that Letitia James has presented. Um, I was actually trying to get the language for it now. Um, and I don't have it, but we'll look into that one day and we'll, we'll, we will definitely talk about that. Um, and you know, there's, it's a de-escalation bill that they're trying to get past now, uh, law enforcement de-escalation training, but none of these people have a clear message of actually what it is. And, and, and it's, it's, it's funny, you know, uh, not, not to get into politics, but just to show the lack of leadership, the New York state attorney general, <coughs> A few months back in the summer, as it was very obvious that crime has spiked in every precinct and every category, and they were hanging on to weekly stats to say, oh, shootings are down, murders are down. But they were just talking about like a 28-day period. They weren't talking about overall for the year. They weren't even talking about over the last five years because it was up tremendously. You know, So they were, they were playing games with the numbers with that. And when she was asked about bail reform, She said that the rise in crime has nothing to do with bail reform. But here we are closer to the election season now. And, you know, November 3rd is fast approaching in New York. And Letitia James now wants to revisit bail reform because she feels that it might have something to do with the rise in crime. Even though every police expert, anyone that has any, any type of courage whatsoever has spoken out about how horrible these reforms have been not just bail reform but clean slate uh raise the age um less is more all of these progressive pro-criminal anti-police legislation and you know and and even furthermore she's the attorney general and she's watching these district attorneys not prosecute and she didn't do anything. She hadn't stepped in at one time. She didn't have the state try to pick up anything, nothing. And again, it falls back to our leadership again because now you're a three-star appointed chief. Um, you interact with these people. You stand up. The borough commander stands up with the borough district with the borough district attorney. And what do they say? Our partners in the and the borough district attorney's office. Our partners. Our partners. They're our partners. 'Cause I don't see them I don't see them being our partners. I see them trying to actively prosecute cops for no reason. I see them trying to bend the law to prosecute cops, and I see them not enforcing their law or even fulfilling the duties of their office. So I don't believe that they're our partners. And I, I, I you know, I watched the other day as the the, the chief in Manhattan was standing behind Mayor Adams and Mayor Adams was talking about the bill that he just passed, and he could clearly see how it's working, that the law that he changed, because he smelled the marijuana blowing. And and I'm sorry, like, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that she's standing there like, oh, yeah, no, this is good, in uniform. Like, it's not. It's not good that you're standing in Times Square. People are openly smoking marijuana. They're openly using drugs. There's homeless open everywhere. And, you know, again, it falls back to, to being an honest, message. And what we've seen from our leadership is they turned in to people almost as if they're vying for votes, almost like the Attorney General Letitia James. They've turned into politicians at that level um, and they'll sway with whoever it is. You get the next mayor in there. He's a conservative guy and maybe he wants to bring back stop question and frisk. They'll go right back to, oh, you need 20, you need 20 stop question and frisk for the month, boys. You know, um, and, and it's it's a joke. It's an absolute joke.
0: I I laugh at that especially you you brought back memories I I remember getting on the job and you you know it's funny because I remember hearing you gotta get 25 summonses in a month and you had to have five stop and frisk and you had to have you remember this you had to have a C summons which was criminal court summonses you had to have red lights and and, you know and now and I think about it when we were brand new walking a beat we interacted with 50 to 60 people a month to get to write these summonses. And that was our practical application. We got so good at dealing with people. We were able to calm crowds. We was so comfortable dealing with people. We engaged with people constantly. We were so good at it. And I'm not knocking the cops now, but it's the reality. They don't have that training. They don't know how to interact with people because they were told there's no quotas and, and you don't have to make arrests. You got cops making one arrest for an entire year so you and they write summons on a rare occasion so they don't know what it is to interact with the public that was training, that was practice they don't have the capabilities that we had and it's a shame, I, I don't know how they're going to get it back and, and I'm a firm believer and this is unfortunate that the application of the body cameras I don't think we could ever get the streets back because my firm belief is that the body camera is it's almost like if we had a camera in everyone's bedroom. We know what goes on there. Or we had a camera in someone's bathroom. We all know what goes on there. We're all adults, but we don't want to see it. It's the same thing. With the body cameras, people know how ugly police interactions are. But now that they see it, they don't want to see it. Like, oh, wow. We really didn't want to see that. That's what goes on. So in order for us to get the streets back, I'm a firm believer that we'd have to remove these body cameras. And as I was nearing towards the end of my career, this the famous term that we kept hearing was dashboard to dashboard, dashboard to dashboard. That meant if you were not anti-crime anymore, if you were public safety doing anti-crime work in uniform, or now these new neighborhood safety team guys, the terminology was dashboard to dashboard. What that meant was before they get out of a car, they got to turn their camera on, and then when they're completely dumb in a rest situation, and they get back in the car, that's when they turn it off. So their terminology was dashboard to dashboard. And if they didn't capture all the events in that matter, in some cases the district attorneys, our partners, were not willing to prosecute because they said that stuff would not be believable. That's, that's this is not reality. If you're driving northbound on a street and I see something to the right of me on the eastbound side, the body camera is not going to catch that. And even if it does catch those subtle movements, the person viewing it does not have the trained eye for what I saw that you didn't see. And we talk about that all the time. So it's a shame it's a shame where we're headed. We really are. And I believe when it comes to these politicians and the Civilian Complaint Review Board, to me, it's a correlation of the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know what the Dunning-Kruger effect is?
1: I don't. Why explain it for us?
0: Sure. In uh, the late 90s, there was a study. I think it was 1999. There was a study by a university, Professor Dunning and Professor Kruger. What they found out through their uh, their results is that the least amount someone knows about a subject, the more easily they think it is and they think they can do it. So I like to correlate that. If you never played football in your life and you sat on the couch and you drank a beer and you watched Tom Brady throw a, a 50-yard pass and they get the touch, and like, oh, wow, I can do that. It doesn't look so hard until you're actually doing it and you realize all the information that you need to know, all the police, everything that you need to know. It's the same thing. It, people are very critical of police work. They always think, well, I, I know how to do that. I could do that better. Why didn't you do this? They don't know all the information that a police officer has, has to know, all the laws that they have to be apprised of, what's going on in the entire scene. And it's the Dunning-Kruger effect. If you have an opportunity, look it up. It's exactly what's going on.
1: No, 100%. I, you know, that's so clear, like what you just said. That, that's, so, that's such a clear example of what's going on in the mayor's office right now, the and kruger effect. Did you see his staffer got caught on Project Veritas on the video? um i sent it to you <laughs> oh yeah that's right you i do it everyone sent it to me i got like i got that video 800 <laughs> times today i i didn't even I, I was like oh my god i hope no one else sends me this video um i actually <laughs> felt bad i like stopped responding to people because i was like i just can't um but but uh but anyway you know I'm just gonna go back. A video prior to that is Adams with Rosanna Scotto, and she asks him about, "Are you concerned about the exodus in the police department?" And he's like, "No, police department's a great job. People love this job. I have no problem. I'll replace them in a second. It's an easy, you know, basically saying it's a cushy job, and he's gonna have no problem. And you know, here we are. Remember that. You know, and here we are months later, and that's not true. You know, and I, uh, I posted that video actually today. Because the staffer got, gets fired for basically saying, mm. oh, these guys don't want to take the shot or whatever it is. It's a cushy job. Uh, a, a police officer is a cushy job. You might get shot, but whatever. right?" Like, And I'm just like, oh, uh, being a police officer is a cushy job now. And yeah, I believe that. I believe that Eric Adams does think it's a cushy job because it was a cushy job for him because he was actually never a police officer. And that's – and I'm not saying that based on – I'm not saying that based on my opinion. I'm saying that based on his arrest record and based on his evaluations and based off of numerous accounts of eyewitnesses, including those that he has in commissioner positions in his staff currently um, who feel the same way about him. So <laughs> that he was a horrible ha, ha. cop. So that is the Dun and kruger effect is happening in the New York City mayor office. That kid set at breast, that little kid, whatever his name was, that little half man, Chris, uh, whatever his face was.
0: Chris ba- Bow, right? Bow?
1: Yeah, Chris Bow. Yeah, Chris Ball, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I think he what he was really upset about, and I find this a lot with the last set of mayoral um, – jobs that they made in the nypd and in all these administrations i find that a lot of these civilians um and and you know that the police department became heavily civilianized in leadership you know and i find that they have a big problem that they took a nice soft cushy government job and only make eighty six thousand dollars a year and yet Lieutenant Dim was making two hundred and seventy, two hundred seventeen thousand $217,000 a
0: year. Um, and,
1: you know, and I don't think that they understand. They don't understand. They look at us. Oh, yeah, it's easy. Why? You throw your uniform on, you wear a gun. I don't think they understand how many sleepless nights you've had, the stresses you've had to deal with, the worries you have, the fact that you're retired now and you probably still can't calm down and you're waiting for a radio run to come over. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and l- look at us. We can't even stop talking about the job. I mean, so it's, you know, and like that's they don't understand that. And, that, and that's the thing. They don't understand why we make the money. I'm like, yeah. Dim could have made $217,000 uh, a year if he would have worked at McDonald's, if he would have worked the amount of hours that he worked and the amount of times he worked, you know. Um, so he could have made that money too because, you know, it, it's not that we made great money. We made good money because we made it to the rank of lieutenant. You made it to the rank of lieutenant special assignment, which is basically captain's pay as a lieutenant, but you earned every dollar of that, blood, sweat, and tears. So when you have, you're in a civilian position, whether you're a lawyer or whatever you do in the NYPD or in the mayor's thing, don't ever sit there and criticize a cop and worry about how much money they make because you don't have that job. You leave at three o'clock every day. You are off on the weekends. You're off every holiday. You take off at your own leisure. There are cops that can't even take off to take care of their own kids. There are single mothers on this job that can't even take their kids to the doctor because they're stuck working and we can't even give them a day off. So don't you ever dare compare yourself to a police officer. And if you want, there's a huge exodus in the police department right now. 212 recruit. I will prepare you. You know, I'm definitely a little bit of a shell of what I was, but I can still get you ready to to pass that physical test, and I'll prepare you for the uh, I'll prepare you for what you're gonna deal with out there in the real world. All right, big Chris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, good news for Chris. I'm sure you heard (laughs) the the requirements are much easier now. I don't even think (laughs) you have to pass.
1: (laughs) Wait, uh, so funny. But yeah, yeah, Uh,
0: it's it's unbelievable. And it really is, it's the Dunning kruger effect for the civilian complaint review board. I think that they look at an incident, especially like the Eric Garner incident, and they say to themselves, Well, why couldn't they just put his hands behind his back? Well, you know what? If if you think it's that simple, well, you know what? That's why I would love for them to give me the opportunity. I've done this presentation before. Please, civilian complaint review board, invite me out. I love to put a presentation and show you if I put my arms across my chest, it would take about 10, maybe 20 large men and women just to get my arms apart. And on a two-minute clock, you're going to be exhausted. And when you get to see this, how difficult it is and how much laws you need to know as a police officer. You know what? I will say this. I give. I will say this. The argument can be made. I used to say this. I still say it. There's a seat for every ass in the NYPD. There are cushy jobs. There are jobs where you can have, you, you know what? You have an easy day. But guess what? They don't have any civilian complaints. You know who are the hard workers? The ones that have the civilian complaints are out there busting their ass. I worked nights. Sometimes I came home, slept for 30 minutes, came right back to do a search warrant, worked the entire day, went home, came back in two hours to, to make sure that, you know, because the sergeant's on vacation, to, to, uh, to deploy the teams out there on no sleep. And still taking, you know, giving 100% in all times. These guys came in sick. We all came in sick. And we had the opportunity to u- utilize Unlimited Sick, but we didn't. It's ironic. The guys that get in the most trouble with the Civilian Complaint Review Board are the ones that give their all. They're at work 150% of the time. They're given everything that they got. And it's a shame that the Civilian Complaint Review Board doesn't appreciate appreciate that and doesn't see it. And they need to, they need to take an opportunity to do a ride along with cops, with cops. And I don't just say police officers. There's a difference. Find those cops that go out there and interact with the public. Those are the guys you need to ride with. Those that have lengthy arrest records, they're comfortable. You need to be there in an arrest situation and see what it's like. And even with someone compliant, when that adrenaline's kicking up, your heart's constantly racing, you feel like you ran six miles and you get back in the car and you go to the next location, the next location, you're a referee. And then you drive to the next location. And I I mean, you've probably done the same thing, John. I've married and divorced people so many times in my career. And then next location, you're running after someone, illegal firearm. And that's a normal day. That would be someone's worst nightmare, but that's, that's just a normal day for a regular police officer in New York city.
1: Oh yeah. It's, it, it, you know, I, and, and even the public has that same effect, too, you know, I like, because because the, the Eric Garner incident really highlighted for me. How many people think that police work is easy, like I, I lost a lot of friends at the time, you know, I was like I was newly married, you know, my wife had all her friends, their husbands, you know, who's a lawyer, who's a doctor, who's whatever, and all of a sudden you know, they became a police expert the same way that they are great quarterbacks, but they never played football.
0: You right, know? Exactly. And,
1: and like, you know, you're right. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. I, I, I never hmm. heard of that study. But that is but that is actually so it's so true at so many levels. The court of public opinion in, in in police work is insane. And I, I do I really do think I think that people don't I I think a lot of things people shouldn't see, right? Like you don't, you don't, you don't want to see ever violence deployed. Um, I think that, you know, we have a problem in a younger generation where they they are softer and they don't know how to interact. And they grew up in a bubble that was provided by the men and women in law enforcement throughout this country. And they believe the world is a safe place. And, you know, I, I seen a lot of cops come in and, you know, I, w- I was actually to the point where I was like I'm I I think I was getting I was getting to the point in my career before I went inside where I was like I, I don't know if I should play this game with with the younger generation because it's it's a deadly deadly game it's a no joke thing if you are a conscientious person and you go out and do your job and you try to do it properly and, and you understand and you're street smart and you know, everything that could happen in this world and in life. Um, It's a scary, dangerous, dangerous job. It's a great job. It's a fun job. It's uh, I had a great time. I wouldn't change it for the world, but not a lot of people could actually do this job for a very long time.
0: It's sad. You talk about the new guys. A couple of cops reached out to me today, and they said, man, LT, they still call me lieutenant. Say, You'll have to call me lieutenant if you want, but, but they still call me LT, and, and it's an honor, and I want to thank them for that. But like, LT, everything you're talking about, man, it's just getting worse and worse. Look, I'm only retired since September 30th, but here they tell me that in the confines of the South Bronx, and the 4-0 and the 4-2 precinct, there was detectives doing investigation, and lo and behold, they saw a, a person that was wanted for a past crime. They attempted to make an arrest, and we all know back in the day, you had support. When you got on that radio and you said those codes, 1085, which meant you asked for assistance, everyone was coming. You couldn't slow everybody. They were coming down, and they wanted to help you, but a couple of the cops told me these detectives were screaming for help, and no one was coming, and at some point, one of their supervisors had to get on the radio and basically curse it. Where the fuck is Everybody. Why are they not responding? These guys need help, and again, they got on the radio. This crowd control, and no one was helping them. This is really sad to our new cops. It's they've been trained a different way, and they're not prepared to battle crowds to assist in arrest situations. They don't have the proper training. They're here under the de Blasio administration in transition with Mayor Adams. This hands off environment, and and and. And this, is, this part, I saw this coming. Here we had the cops that were untrained. They're on the job about seven, eight years in the de Blasio administration. They don't know what it is to do the impact era like we did. They don't know what it is to suppress crime by stopping, question, frisking people, by making arrests, writing summonses. And then Mayor Adams wants immediately to administer the broken windows theories with cops that aren't ready. It was the most ridiculous thing. I, 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 was comp- I was not shocked. I knew that was coming. And yet he knows that he sending these cops who have no training and their fear of civilian complaint review board, and yet he hasn't, t- he hasn't spoke about that. I mean, sometimes it sounds like he wants to say the right things, and that's great you're saying that, but what's really going on behind closed doors? Why are you not addressing the civilian complaint review board that's hamstringing your cops?
1: Yeah, no, but I mean, when he came... When he came out with the broken – when he said he was going to do broken with us, the area – I was already done, and I was like, this guy don't know, doesn't know – he doesn't know his head from his ass because we don't have the tools that we had. You cannot even, you cannot even police minor crimes anymore, so there's no broken windows to pick up. What am I doing? What was this new stupid summons? I don't even know what it was. I never wrote one. I would never tell anyone to write one.
0: Uh, Um, I don't 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 even, an
1: oath summons, whatever that, I don't know what that is. (laughs) A non-criminal, I'm like, no, I'm like, we deal in criminality. I'm not, don't, don't get yourself involved in something. That's not a crime. If you don't, if you want to label all of these things, not crimes, then I don't know what to tell you because I'm not, I'm not going to go out there and openly Put my name and my house and my children's future on the line to stop some who's drinking a beer or shooting up in the park or whatever else it is. It is what it is, you know, and, and, you know, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, he wants you to get the guns off the street. Yeah, he wants you to keep crime down, but he's not going to help you get bail reform out. He's not helping you with the district attorneys. I mean, what did he do with Alvin Bragg? He said, me and Alvin Bragg are one in the same. (laughs) <laughs> Me and Alvin Bragg are one in the same. I'm like, you know, I and again, it's not to just pick on Alvin Bragg. Like I always said, it's all of them. He's just the only one that actually he actually says his agenda where the rest of them hide it. He actually comes out and says it, so he gets the most flack, you know. because um, he feels that he feels emboldened enough to say it, that he's not gonna prosecute these crimes, that he's not gonna do this, that you know, that uh, you know, he's gonna he, we failed people when they were arrested by not giving them services. And, you know, so again, you're the mayor of New York City. If I'm the mayor of New York City and I have district attorneys that are letting people arrested out with firearms out the next day and not charging them and dropping the case, and I'm going to blast you on the news every day. I'm going to have the chief of crime control strategies come up to the podium every day and tell me how many arrests we made last night for firearms and how many got thrown out. And we're going to go back on week to dates, and I'm going to make this public information. And I'm going to go on all the media channels, and I'm going to embarrass everybody. And he's not doing any of that. What is he doing? He's endorsing them. He's endorsing Gavin Katiolch. He's saying that, that, that this is his partner. These guys are our partners. They're not our partners. They're not working as our partners right now. They're not doing their job. They're not serving the people in New York City. And there are plenty of policy right now in the NYPD that needs to be changed immediately plenty of it and policy nypd policy should get changed immediately and he has the ability to change some laws in city council that came in and he should start with that diaphragm bill immediately and anybody in city council or in anywhere else another board that brings up getting rid of qualified immunity is basically calling to abolish the police and he needs to say that stronger and not only does he need to say it because sometimes you're right he does say the right thing sometimes he says it but he never does it and there's never any follow-through and that's my biggest critique with him there's never any follow-through i don't i don't like the guy i think he's a horrible person i think that you know the mandates prove that he has zero reasoning for this um but You know, that's my that's my biggest thing is that like some every now and then he'll come out and he'll back the cops like uh, the last shooting that we had. He did stand up for the cops and I was happy that he did that. I was like, that's great. You know, but at the end of the day, when it comes down to the major incidents, yeah, maybe he's there. But when that incident just goes a little hairy, I don't believe he has. I don't believe he has the, the backbone to really stand there and stand with you. I really don't.
0: I got to be honest, and this this may be uh, an off-the-cuff statement, but sometimes I actually – I feel like I'd actually rather be working in the police department under de Blasio than Adams. And I know that sounds too off-the-cuff, but at least I knew or we knew exactly what direction it was going and what he wanted. And he wanted us to stand out. And when Adams – I believe he talks both sides of his mouth. It it sounds great to the public. Um, You know, we got our cops' backs, but in the same sentence, he says, you know, if someone's on the phone, make sure you report it. So I I don't know what to trust. At least what what de Blasio, he straight out said he doesn't like the cops. He fears for the cops when it comes to his kids. At least you knew what you were dealing with. Mayor Adams, it worries me because I think some of the young cops want to believe him. Some of the young cops that may have had the training under uh, special operations that have the tools to do police work, not the ones I'm talking about through this de area, but the ones that actually want to do police work, they're being fed the right information to go out there and do it. But he is not going to back them I and he's proven it. He could shut down the Civilian Complaint Review Board and remove this diaphragm law. And what I've heard is unacceptable from the unions and from the politicians, and and in regards to district attorneys, that no one is going to get charged with this diaphragm law. Are, Are we to believe, are we to trust that this diaphragm law will never be used? If that's the case, then take it off the record. Why leave it there? And I'm a firm believer, I don't know if it's happened yet, but I'm confident that district attorneys might not prosecute a police officer or charge them for the diaphragm law but I'm sure the civilian complaint review board will weaponize that to extend their 18 month statute of limitations when it comes to a particular case, when it comes to substantiations for a civilian complaint.
1: Yeah. I I don't believe that for a second, by the way, you know, I don't, Oh, we're not going to use that. Yeah. When right now in the first three months, (laughs) in the first six months, that was the same argument I got about the masking and the testing. Oh, nobody's getting in trouble for that. And then guys are getting fired. You know, it's like, Oh nobody's getting in trouble for it? What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean nobody's getting in trouble for it? If, what happens if I don't do it? I'm going to get fired, you know.
0: Right, um, exactly.
1: Um and you know that that bill was put out for a reason and it will be used and it's it's just an encroachment and it's a, and it's it's another reason to step back, you know. And and it's it, you know. And will that video even be addressed addressed other than me and you? Will the NYPD look at that video and say, wow, you know, everyone there really doesn't know what to do. The cops don't know what to do. And why should they? Why well, should like
0: they? <laughs> Well, it happened in 2022. So along with their new podcast that's going to explore the hostage negotiation team in the 1970s, clearly <laughs> it's not going to be on the podcast. So. It's kind of ironic that they're coming out. They have a weekly podcast. Who else has a weekly podcast in regards to police events?
1: You know, I, I what do you think about that? Because I was I was actually laughing when I seen it. I actually one of my friends who's who's uh who's like an independent journalist. He sent it to me. He's like, check your email. So he sent it to me. I was hysterical laughing. I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, yeah. Put out a podcast about the past, right? Because you have nothing to talk about now. You could put out a podcast about the past, about when we were the police, about what we did. And, yeah, you could listen to those stories because they were in the 70s. Let's talk about right now because none of you are doing it. None of you are doing it. Only in Behind Closed Doors, only in Comstat. And, by the way, that's another thing. I really do think Comstat should be a public venue. I think that Comstat, I think the public has every right to hear what's going on in, in Comstat. I don't I think that should be a closed-door thing. Uh, there was major city chiefs occurred uh, in Dallas last week, closed-door event. Why? Why? What do you got to hide? Let's all talk about it. Why? You're a public servant. This is public information. The things that come out of your mouth should be privy to the public and everybody else. Why are, the, why are these things behind closed doors? If we're if we have nothing to hide and we're and everything is everything and we're transparent, why why aren't we? You know, it's. Uh, but I did. Uh, I got to give kudos to the LBA. They sent out a little. Uh, they sent out a little, uh, and I would like to read it too. Um, uh, yes,
0: actually, I saw that, and uh, I definitely. Uh, I think that was a great response by the LBA. Absolutely, I think it, it, I think it was. Said. a gr- –
1: I think it was a great response. They said in the upcoming weeks, four separate CCRB directed department trials will take place against four active lieutenants stemming from charges filed by the, the career criminal revenge board, the CCRB. So again, I'm going to say that somebody in the LBA is listening to our podcast too, because in in the first podcast that we did, Eric dim stated, I, I asked him a question about, who filed complaints against him and he said he said oh I'm glad you asked me that question because for me CCRB stood for should, should have stood for the prisoner arraignment review board
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> So I, I've right. been
0: saying that for years and I know that the LBA uses the criminal complaint revenge board they're similar but uh, it, it's the truth these complaints are not coming from ordinary citizens Coming from perpetrators, keep going. This is a, this is great.
1: So so yeah. So whatever. Whether they use that, I never seen them use it before. But. All involve incidents that occurred during the riots and acts of domestic terrorism that took place during the spring and summer of 2020. In a pathetic attempt to justify their existence, same thing that we said, by creating a false perception that they are proactively investigated prohibited police conduct, CCRB has filed charges against these lieutenants. The truth is that thousands of rioters caused millions of dollars in damage, stole millions of dollars in property, assaulted and seriously injured hundreds of police officers. Meanwhile, of those thousands to our knowledge, only four rioters were prosecuted, the same number as the number of lieutenants now being brought to trial by the CCRB. This is horrific. As the city was burning... Our local politicians and members of the media portray these blatant acts of domestic terrorists and mostly peaceful protests. This is simply not true. Peaceful protests do not result in hundreds of police officers being seriously injured, some with permanent injuries peaceful protests do not result in millions of dollars of property damage and peaceful protests do not result in millions of dollars in stolen goods the career criminal revenge board is now using this false narrative to portray (laughs) members of the New York City Police Department as aggressors who triggered the otherwise peaceful protesters, they forgot the quotes there Lou, but um, into assaulting police officers, (laughs) torching their vehicles and station house destroying public and private property and stealing millions of dollars in goods from commercial establishment. I need not remind you that at any time many of our local and state reg- legislators jumped on the proverbial bandwagon and voted to defund the police. Now that violent crime is going through the roof, and an inevitable outcome of stripping money from the police budget, these same disingenuous politicians are suddenly calling for more police on the street and in the subways, at least until the election is over. They have left up it's a, they have left it by up to the CCRB to do their dirty work by charging officers with bogus violations and imposing heavy penalties for minor infractions and the results of the loss of vacation time which reality equates to lost wages so in the manner of speaking, defund the police is very much alive and being proactively carried out by the career criminal revenge board then they post (laughs) then they post a a thing i actually love it it's actually a strong message but i just got one question why are people being held like eric dim was why are they being held to an nypd matrix uh disciplinary matrix when they're being brought up for acts that happened prior to the matrix. Where is the union on that? How come they didn't push back on that? Like where is that? You know, you know, where was where were they even with the disciplinary matrix? Where were they as the power was given over to CCRB? Where were they in all of these elections? Why weren't they endorsing the right candidates? Why were they mulling over who they were going to endorse? I mean, it's very clear now who's supporting the police and who isn't. I mean, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, now the, the New York Democrats are all attending community council meetings and and talking about how great their commanding officers are and everything else and their partnership with the NYRPD, even though they all voted to defund the police, oh. all this this pro-criminal legislation, want to free them all and rip down the jails. Like, where were you then where are you now? It's a great letter. I don't really give a shit about it. I mean, they, half of that looks like it came from my Twitter. So, I mean, like, it <laughs> really does. I'm just saying half of it, I, you know, like, I don't really give a shit about it. I, I don't. I'm like, you know what? It's a great letter. It was a great video that, that you sent. Where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you pushing back? What is going to be done other than that letter?
0: You know, on my way out. The union, uh, you know, they, they told me that they were going to have a conference with the first deputy commissioner. And they knew that all these cases were frivolous. And it was completely obvious that I was targeted by the Civilian complaint Review Board. And they had all these cases, and they waited to serve me all the cases in one year so that they could correlate with that disciplinary matrix. I had all the aggravating factors because they created my own history. I don't know if you know this, but once you get a civilian complaint substantiated, because of the matrix, you now have aggravated factors. The next time you get a civilian complaint, if you are an aggravated cop, you cannot qualify for a command discipline. If you got an A command discipline on a prior civilian complaint, the next one will be a minimum of a B command discipline or charges. Because you have aggravating factors. And also in The Matrix, I know I didn't discuss this. Any discipline you have within a three-year period can be used against you in correlation with new discipline. So unless you sit in your office with a a canopy over your head hiding out, you'll always have discipline. We're talking about a three-year period. So that means if I get a civilian complaint substantiated today, any discipline I have within three years is an aggravating factor. That's scary. How is this applied to present day when all these cases weren't even relevant? Even in my cases with the civilian complaints, all my cases except for the protest, I was in plain clothes. I was doing anti-crime work. By the time it was actually disposed of, anti-crime was disbanded it didn't even exist anymore and they were using all the ideology of post-george floyd that didn't even fit prior everything started to become about this restricted breathing. um anytime they would watch a video they would start to ask questions is your knee near his neck and i said to myself these questions were never asked prior to george floyd but yet all these cases are prior to george floyd and you're treating a, treating it as it's a new case and where is, you know, I'm going to have to call her out. She seems like a pretty intelligent individual to me. I never met her in person, but she's quiet. We haven't seen her much. And we obviously can figure out why, because Mayor Adams clearly wants to be the commissioner. But the commissioner has the power to say, listen, these cases, any case that comes along my desk, and she should, I should say this outspokenly. any case that comes across my desk in response to the riots, Will be automatically dismissed.
1: Absolutely.
0: How are these cases going to be tried administratively? Spending the time and funds with the Department Advocate and then make its way to the Commissioner's office. This is absolutely ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean that was that was a horrible time in New York City, and you know
0: I, I'll be honest. I was I
1: was I said it numerous times. I think I said it every night. I told my wife every night. I said if something happens, let me know. And I'll be there in 10 minutes. I don't care. That'll be my last day on work. I will leave wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing. You know? Exactly. Um, Because that was a scary time to live in the five boroughs in New York City. Uh, We let that city burn. The guys that got stuck in the middle of it in the first, in the first like 48 hours, um they were left out there with no leadership and they were the police and they were doing their job they were trying to protect the city from from domestic terrorism which it was and only four people were ever prosecuted that is disgusting and i think it was the two that threw the molotov cocktail and i think they got a light sentence and um i don't know the other two but but uh, that was disgusting and and to even to even bring that up And but my but again, you know, where where is everybody? Where are the unions? You know, it's a great letter. Um, I'm sure you'll do a nice follow up Twitter post. Check me in the morning. I'll definitely have something out early. And uh, and then, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be great. But like, where is it? And and like you said, the police commissioner, she's you know, she seems like a great lady. Uh, By all means, she's a rookie in the police world. You know, she was a Nassau chief chief of detectives, I believe she was in charge of 300 people, she's now in charge of about 50,000 and I'm not saying that someone can't make that jump, she seems very intelligent from everything I've ever heard about her from any of the cops that that currently work with her now or worked with her in the past in her past assignment, they all said she's a great cop and 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 I'll take that, Uh, but again, you know she's a young girl, you're selling your soul to this guy who has Bill Banks really running the job sitting over in 357 Pearl Street. He's really the commissioner. He's making all the shots. They're just using your name. You're a figurehead. And uh, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I would do in that scenario. I really don't. I mean, I I mean I know me. I wouldn't take the job. But, but 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 I, you know, I don't I don't know. I'm sure they didn't sell it to her that way. I'm sure they didn't sell it to her that way. But that is obviously what's going on obviously oh. she has no power everything goes through the mayor's office and he already came out and said it you know he already came out and said it the commissioners work for me the commissioners are in charge of that department i'm in charge of the agency i'm in charge of the commissioners the message will come through through the mayor's office so he in mm-hmm. essence is the police commissioner
0: yes absolutely and he doesn't hide it either i mean it's obviously has an axe to grind with the police department. And then he has unfinished business with the police department. And then he wants to be the commissioner. And I ask myself, I'm sure the public says to themselves, hey, listen, I get it. You got police experience. Well, at least you want to say you have police experience. But we have other agencies and we have other issues to take care of with the city. Let this commissioner shine. Let her do her job. And I'm surprised, based on what I heard about her, and I've only heard good things, that she's still there. And I was hoping that she would stand up and say, you know what? I can't run this department and I'm going to have to find myself employment somewhere else. But I don't know what happens, but it seems when people make it to a certain point in their life, uh, they sell their souls. And, and it's unfortunate because she does have the power. She has the authority to dismiss these cases. And, and she knows, only knows here, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but it's the, it's the reality. They, I got promoted to lieutenant special assignment. So they knew and it's not, and thank God it's not often that somebody with a gun belt actually gets a special assignment. So I got promoted and, and here because that was my forte in running special operations. And I would think when, the, when all these issues with the civilian complaint were brought to her desk, that she would say to herself, Wow, what's going on with my personnel? If they could do this to one of my lieutenants who's talented, it, what are they going to do to one of my police officers? And there's no backing, there's no support. And yet, it's amazing, John. You probably think the same thing. And yet, I say to myself, there, there's guys out there right now that are still going out there and trying to get these illegal firearms, knowing that their records may get peppered up because it's just in their blood. They want to do it. And uh, it's really unfortunate. It's sad for those guys because those are guys that are going to be held back in their careers from getting promoted. Shall they do well on a test? Or held back from getting an investigator track because we all know if you get a substantiated civilian complaint and based on this matrix, you're going to lose more than 30 days. And if you lose more than 20 days, you're automatically put on level two. And if the public wants to know if you're on level two monitoring, that means for an 18-month period, you're monitored, you cannot get transferred, you cannot get promoted. And if something happens subsequent to that other incident, that 18 months will be extended that's a shame i mean it's a it's a large it's a long period of time in someone's career
1: yeah so uh i think uh yeah i think i think next episode we should do or in and one of the episodes come we're gonna do we'll break down the disciplinary matrix we'll go over that for the public what exactly it is what the standard that cops are being held to uh this video didn't involve any uh any physical, any any use of physical force. This clip. I don't know if there's any that'll come out after. I'm not even really sure what happened, the, the thing in Times Square. Uh, but any ones that do will also bring in the uh, the try reporting and how and what allegations will be self-reported by the NYPD against each one of the officers. So we'll just highlight how doing police work is not rewarded. And Dim, you said something that you know is another big huge problem you know I went inside at the end of my career and you know and you're right and I seen it my whole career the guys with the gun belts didn't get promoted the guys that went out and did the work didn't get the, the second grade and the first grade and the LSA and the SDS they didn't it was almost frowned upon that you were out there doing your job still later on. And I would hear a lot of people in administrative roles like me, they're, 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 oh, you're going to get the money here. And I'm like, I don't, first of all, I don't deserve the money here at all. I was like, somebody on the street that's actually being a cop still deserves the money. But then, and Cause that's just who I am. I just felt like, ah, whatever it is, what it is. I'm happy. I make good money. I, I don't deserve to get promoted. I took a step back and you know, I, although I did do great work in my administrative roles, I truly don't believe that you deserve the money in those spots. And it's amazing how many guys think that they deserve it. Yes. A, it's amazing. It's amazing. And it always, it always blew my mind. Oh, I'm waiting to get second grade. Oh, I'm waiting to get first grade. Oh, I'm going to get LSA, and I'm like, "What you? Yeah, you work for the police department. You might do a great job, and you might even have a specialty on this job, uh, you know, and a, a specialist in some type of talent." But let's face the facts: the guys, the men and women on the street, are the job. You could do away with all of those units you could do away with everything you can't do away with the men and women in the precincts and they get it the worst. And I, uh, and if, and you know, if Commissioner, if you're listening that, I think if you could just change that narrative, that would be huge in itself. Just make, you
0: know, Absolutely. If if the commissioner ever has an opportunity to hear this, I would say I've only heard great things about you and, uh, I just want your record to speak for itself, please. We want to hear you. Be outspoken for the public. Be outspoken for the cops. These cops, are their careers are being impeded, and they're not helping the public because of the Civilian Complaint Review Board. We need you to impede on this. We need an open discussion. I would love to be part of this forum. Yourself, Commissioner, myself, the Civilian Complaint Review Board, maybe cop watch, and we can discuss how to move forward so we can get our police officers support so they can do it their job and we can bring this city back if it's ever possible. I, I don't know. It's unfortunate, but I will tell the public this. We will be here weekly with the 265 Police Live Series. We are the experts. We are giving you up, most updated information based on current case law and current patrol guide procedures. John, if you could give Elite a shout out for that. We're staying abrupt, uh, abrupt and abreast right now on procedures, uh, that would be great.
1: Absolutely. You know what? They deserve a whole shout out in the beginning. And we're going to do that on the next episode, but for, uh, but for everybody that's listening, that studied, I, uh, I just, I definitely got to give a, a big shout out to Mike Janicek. He helped me get promoted both as a Sergeant and a Lieutenant. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I took the 2015 test. I studied a year for the 2015 Lieutenant test and it was a disaster. I don't remember the captain that wrote it. Um, I, I I should know because when I was in IAB, he called every day and make the most frivolous
0: allegations
1: against every cop that he could. And if you're listening to, I'm sure you'll call IAB on me about this too. Um, but
0: uh,
1: <laughs> you know, he made all these allegations, and really, it was he failed to investigate and never failed to ever do his job. But you know, he made a horrible he made a horrible exam. I took I studied for a year. Mike prepared me the best he could, and. I, you know, I crushed his exams. I crushed the rising star and I crushed the key was still around at the time. I don't know if the key still is, Uh, but I, I, I do, in my opinion, Mike Janicek put out the, by far the best product. Um, You know, I was able to watch his videos on my phone. He had testing, he had everything. And he went basically off the percentages of the past tests and he did his homework and he's into it. And Mike said, no joke guy. And when I failed that test, I did not blame Mike. I failed that test by one point. Um, And the guys that passed it, the guys that passed it the day of, not the guys that cheated on the third and fourth day when they all had the answers, um, not the guys that pretended like they had religious exemptions and who went sick and a lot of the guys that were in IAB that cheated. But we'll not get into that. But uh, (laughs) because, you know, I was like, I always thought you needed integrity to be in IAB, but I guess not. Um, So they all all got promoted after the second day. But the first day, the guys that actually passed that test – They were all like NYU grads. These guys never got a 70 in their life. And they got like 73s. And I got like a 69. So I was like, all right. I was like, you know what? I kept up with these guys. I I did what I could do. I couldn't change it. The test was horrible. There was nothing on there that I studied. I heard the same thing happen with the sergeant's test. Um, I definitely wouldn't blame Mike for that. Sometimes these tests just aren't what they should be. Uh, I blame the test writers a lot on that. And I do hear a lot of guys complain Because for their lack of studying, you know, I failed that 2015 test. You know, I, I blew, I did great on my sergeant's exam. I was, I was in the top 200 and I was in the top 400 in my lieutenant's exam. I didn't do that great. I got like 86 on that one. But, uh, but I, you know, I think it was because of Mike. And when I failed, it wasn't Mike's fault. I studied that whole book. You know, you shouldn't just be studying Mike's material. You should study that whole book inside and out you know i I broke every procedure down what was relevant to each rank on cue cards i did that three or four times for for all three times i studied for those exams um and that's what you guys should do so i i definitely would always recommend elite strategic um you know mike janicek he's no joke he lives east and breathes it you know he would always say oh email me email if you ever need anything and i remember one thing was messing me up that I, I don't remember exactly what it was but it was like two in the morning uh i was a crime sergeant and it was like two in the morning and it was bothering me and i was like i just finished up my guys just went in they made an arrest at like one o'clock in the morning so i went up to study for like the last two hours my last hour and then i was going to study till three and then go home so i studied the last two hours and uh I was studying and something bothered me. So I emailed him and I, I kid you not. It was, it was two like 15 in the morning at like two seventeen.
0: 17. He emailed you back.
1: <laughs> he emailed me right back. I like this guy, you know, he, he's legit. Definitely use elite strategic, you know, and guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening, Eric. Thank you, my brother. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time doing this. I'm looking forward to doing more shows, throwing out more content. We got a lot more stuff coming out, so it's going to
0: be good. Hey, check us out. You, you need to listen to us. We're going to give you the most up-to-date stuff, and we are giving you the truth. All right? We are the experts. we got the trained eye. We're giving the truth out there. For the cops that are out there, my ladies and gentlemen, my men and women out there in uniform, and my military overseas, and, and of course, at home, thank you for your service, everybody. Semper Fi.